0: This program is made possible by the support of the members of the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the BBC News Quiz, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Progressive, Real Time with Bill Maher, On the Media, Media Matters, Counterspin, The Colbert Report, and The Bugle with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Young Turks.
1: Whose plea of self-defense has been attacked around the world?
2: Oh, it hasn't been the most cheerful week for news. We're talking about Gaza, which has been blockaded by Israel and up until a couple of days ago, Egypt, denying it most of its basic needs. And so a bunch of activists from 32 countries and about 40 different organizations got together a flotilla of ships to take stuff through. And Israel opposes this because they say, we need to search all this stuff, make sure it's not weapons, despite the fact that the Turkish have already searched it all. Uh, Israeli commandos decide to storm the ships in international waters, which is a very dubious legality. Any road. Am I boring you? Any road. You see from the outset the activists said look we have a political motive in doing this Yes, these supplies are needed, but more importantly we want to defy the blockade and draw attention to it So that it will be lifted and the Israelis said this is a political motive They just want to defy the blockade and the activists said yeah, that's what we just said and the Israelis said yeah well, we're just saying Anyway, and uh, the Israelis said, well, no trouble, we will take the supplies in ourselves. But they now say they are not taking in any of the building materials into Gaza, so none of the cement has been allowed in, which gives me the opportunity to accuse the Israelis of being anti semitic
1: Well, this is, uh, I would have thought, not the first time that Jeremy has expressed a complex ambivalence on the issue. <laughs>
3: talking about sanctions and stuff, but I had a choice. I went into the supermarket the other day and I saw avocados. It was avocados from Israel and avocados from South Africa. And I bought the South African ones. I was like, boy, times have changed. None of our political leaders have
2: actually been any good at all on this. From Obama, Cameron, Hague, they all said, we deplore the loss of life. Well, that's a bold statement, isn't it? To be broadly against death in principle. <laughs> Jeremy, nobody really knows what the UK government position is because it is impossible
1: to listen to William Hague and stay conscious.
4: Cameron <laughs> did, did say that he counted himself as a friend of Israel. I don't know if Israel is a friend of his. Maybe, maybe they're just Facebook friends. <laughs>
3: Sandy, I was starting to get a bit worried because yeah. last time I was invited on this show, yeah, a couple of days later, Mossad went to Dubai and killed that Hamas operative. Then I was invited on this show, and a couple of days later, this stuff happened with the flotilla. So next time you invite me on this show, I'm just going to phone up the Israeli embassy and go, "What are you up to?" Yeah. I was- <laughs> I went over there, because my boyfriend's from Israel, and I got pulled into a little room, and I was questioned by Mossad, because I had a Dubai stamp on my passport, <gasps> and they were like, what, why have you, you've been to Dubai? And I went, yeah, and they went, why have you been to Dubai? I was like, well, not for the same reason that you guys went. Uh, <laughs> I did see the Gaza Strip. My boyfriend took me down there, because um, he knows how to treat a girl, and... Uh, <laughs> He was asking me what I thought. He kept going, What do you think? What do you think? And I was like, I don't know, because I'm from a community of people that have been displaced many times throughout history. So, you know, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I don't want to say. He goes, What do you think? That's when I realized, I was like, My God, this isn't about Israel and Palestine, all these problems in the Middle East. It's not about Jews and Arabs. It's not even about Mossad and Hamas. I was like, My God, it's all about me.
1: You're bringing things down to the real truth tonight. (laughs) Uh, The Israeli government has defended the raid on the Gaza flotilla, saying its troops had come under attack as they raided the ships. The attack has been condemned by the Turkish government, Hillary Clinton, William Hague, and the United Nations, while the EU's Middle East envoy for peace has just accepted another job raising capital for a computer company in Silicon Valley. (laughs) Uh, the international community is furious about the attack, especially the Somalis, as Israeli soldiers pushed in front of them to board the boats. <laughs>
5: There
6: were six hundred and seventy-nine people on that ship. Fifty of them were released, like for example, a Turkish woman with a one-year-old baby. Wow! Out of the goodness of their heart, they let her go after she, uh, you know, uh, cooperated with them. Uh, but there are six hundred and twenty-nine prisoners now. Now the ship got boarded. We don't know who, when the shooting began, how it began, when it ended, how many people were killed after they had already surrendered. But the people that are on the ship are not prisoners in Israel. 629 of them, and that they need to, you know, cooperate with the authorities. And one of the reasons they're in prison right now, of course, is because Israel doesn't want the other side of the story coming out. That's 629 eyewitnesses. They want to give CNN their uh, strictly edited IDF tape and say, okay, run this, run this for two days, three days, four days until people stop uh, remembering about this story. And we won't give you the rest of the tape, and we won't give you any of the eyewitnesses. How dare they go be in international waters? They were kidnapped. Okay, it was international waters. You kidnapped those people, and you're falsely imprisoning them right now. It's like pirates coming onto a ship and kidnapping them because they were not in Israeli waters. So number one, you have to release the prisoners. They have no business being prisoners. You have to release them right away and unconditionally. Okay, now of course, since the U.S. will never criticize Israel. They won't back that. They say, "Oh, Israel, when you get around to it, you know, however long it takes, could you please let go of the people you kidnapped?" I doubt I, I they even said that. I'm sure they didn't say "kidnap." They said, "Oh, I'm sure they were, you know, Muslims and well, some Europeans too." But who gives a damn? Uh, way to detain those uh, possible terrorists. Uh, you do with them as you please. That's the uh, U.S. getting tough on Israel. This is a terrible failure in leadership by Obama. Terrible failure, because when you do not step in. As a friend to Israel, and say you've gone in the wrong direction here, as some of our allies and friends did with the U.S. when we were headed towards the Iraq War, France, Germany, etc., said, "Don't go there. It's not a good idea for you, let alone Iraq." That's what the kind of friend the U.S. has to be to Israel now. But no, we can't. We bow our heads and say whatever you want. So, one, release the prisoners. Two, release the tapes. You want to be cute, and you want to only release the part of the tape where you show the IDF marines getting attacked. That's fair, and I told everybody earlier in the program hey, look, they did get attacked. You can see it on tape. But release what happened earlier, and much more importantly, what happened after. Let me see the shootings. How do I know if you don't release the tape? Maybe they all laid down as you hear over the loudspeakers. People are laying down on the deck. Maybe you summarily executed them. Maybe you shot them in the head. Let me see that part of the tape. Well, you can't say it didn't happen if you don't show the tape. Release the prisoners. Release the tapes. Now, who else in the American media is asking for that? My guess is absolutely zero people. But you know, I tuned into the coverage as it was happening of CNN and Fox News. <laughs> Fox News, of course, <laughs> you know what they were doing, and uh, but CNN as well. Uh, the Israeli government says this. Oh, we have a new bulletin. The Israeli government says that, and then the Israeli government says this. Hey, how about somebody else's government? How about you know you look into uh, interview somebody from the Free Gaza movement, interview somebody from the Turkish government, interview somebody from that thinks, hey, you know what? Maybe they shouldn't occupy one and a half million people and basically imprison them there. How about that? No. Has anybody? And how about if you're a news organization and they send you a minute-long tape of a part of what happened, and that tape does not include the actual killings? Where all the people were shot, dozens of people were shot in ways we don't know. How about you ask them, hey, how about the rest of the tape? No, you didn't think of that? No. Because CNN doesn't do news. They're not news anchors, they're news actors. They get told what to say, and they say it like idiots. Not one of the anchors came on and said, this is only a part of the tape, and God knows what happened in the rest of the tape, but they won't give us the tape. We've asked for it because we're a news organization. <laughs> You're a propaganda organization. Whoever is feeding you the propaganda, you just put it on there. Like a bunch of fools. <laughs> Do I have respect for the American media? <laughs> what a joke! What a joke!
0: This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com/best. That's audiblepodcast.com/best. I'm about
5: to give it.
7: Hello, and we're here with Republican Representative Richard Martin, friend of the show, uh, from Ohio's fighting nineteenth district. All right. Now, you know what? How do you feel about the flotilla? That's been so. Now, what's going on in Gaza right now is just crazy. You know, everybody understands that they're at war over there with each other. But uh, what's happening, really, in effect over in Gaza is the Israelis, uh, and they're with their much more superior militaristic might, have kind of turned the whole Gaza into one big concentration camp. Yeah. and so where everyone's no one has enough food, water, well, medical supplies, Jimmy. And then there was the flotilla incident where the so what do what you. Yeah,
8: well, well, first of all, you you've got to understand that the, the Israelis, they don't have a voice in the American media the way the Palestinians do. <laughs> what? Yeah. A lot of people would disagree with you on that. Well, they're probably Palestinians. <laughs> no, I'm Irish, uh, Jimmy. I've searched the situation, the flotilla situation extensively, and I went scene by scene through the Steven Seagal movie Under Siege. And the similarities are startling. Both took place at sea. Both were greenlit by Jews. And despite pleas from the world, both had a sequel. (laughs) What do you mean? I don't understand the Israeli sequel. Oh, there's a there's a boat coming from Ireland. Oh, that's right.
7: That's right. Okay. And uh, well let's hope that goes a little bit better. I mean this the new this new boat that's coming over there. I hope there
8: isn't a violent yeah. incident. Yeah, let's hope. Let's cross our let's cross our fingers and hope for the best, Jim. Yes, you well, know, I wish there was something we could do. Um, you know, I wish I wish there was a way that we could contact the Israeli government and <laughs> What? I wish we had some type of type of bargaining power uh, with them. <laughs> well, we do, um, you know, if, if, like if we had aid that we could withhold we do do. or military weapons that we, we could both withhold do. until they obeyed human rights violations, but we're powerless, Jimmy. We're not we're powerless. We don't ha- we don't have a voice. Well, that's why it's
7: frustrating uh, to talk to you sometimes, yep. Representative Martin, because yep. we do actually give aid to Israel. We give billions we of do. dollars. Yes, you're you're in Congress. You should know that. And we give uh, military aid too. Where do you think they get their all their fighter jets and bombs and everything? Yeah, yeah. I I never, U.S. ever thought about it? Yeah, U.S. of A. for yeah. U.S. of A.
9: Israel long ago lost its mind and its soul. That's what occupation does to the occupier. Now we're merely witnessing the violent spasms of the irrational. You cannot attack a humanitarian relief ship in international waters and kill at least ten people and get away with it. And Israel isn't getting away with it, not this time. Its act of lawless aggression against the Gaza relief ship, which resulted in the deaths of at least 10 civilians, has sparked international outrage. Protests have erupted all over the world. Some of the largest have been in Turkey, where most of the people of the flotilla were from. Turkey used to be Israel's best ally in the Muslim world. You can forget about that now. Turkey's Prime Minister Erdogan denounced the act as a bloody massacre and as state terrorism. And what did our president say? Virtually nothing, even though there were American citizens aboard the ship that Israel attacked. In a written statement, Obama expressed a deep regret at the loss of life, but he didn't name Israel as the aggressor. In fact, his only specific mention of Israel was to say that it's treating some of the wounded in Israeli hospitals. Now when armed forces from one of the world's strongest militaries storm a relief ship at gunpoint, it is safe, it is accurate, it is morally necessary, to name the aggressor, but somehow it slipped Obama's mind.
10: Let's talk about the Jews. Okay. Um, <laughs> no. Israel, because this was the other big story this week, what happened off the coast of Israel. Uh, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of background that you really need to understand this story, so we won't go all the way back to 1948. But basically, uh, Israel has controlled the Gaza Strip, where about, uh, about half the population lives. It's a very small part of the uh, Palestinian population put into a very small space. Uh, A few years ago, Israel gave up the Gaza Strip and let them elect their own leaders. They elected Hamas, who make no bones about their wish that Israel be destroyed. They are not for a two-state solution. They are for a one-state solution, theirs, and the destruction of Israel. So Israel, maybe understandably, is a little paranoid. Uh, So they've blockaded ships coming into Gaza because they were afraid there might be something on those ships that went kablooey. Okay, so uh, food and medicine probably weren't getting in as much as they needed either. Um, no one thinks that the Israeli military handled this situation very well when they landed on that boat a few nights ago, and we've seen a lot of videotape from both sides. We don't know really what happened. We but, haven't. We, but
11: the, the Australians have released a tiny
10: bit of videotape okay. pure propaganda. So far, the Israelis. Yeah.
11: They, well, they have the rest of the tape. They e- won't let us see well, it. Even
10: the majority no. of Israelis don't think their military handled it yeah, well, I mean, which well. is a shame because when I think of the Israeli military, I think of the raid on Entebbe. I think of Munich. I think of them doing really cool commando shit. That was the old Israel. That was the
12: old... I-, I mean, what they did in the war in 2008 was a use of disproportionate force, which has led to a crisis. Now, listen, you can talk about Netanyahu and as the great defender what they did the other day was inflict more damage on Israel than their enemies and i think that is telling and i think when you talk about gaza you got to remember that you're talking about the collective imprisonment of of civilians and what needs to come out of this is an end to a blockade a blockade which doesn't allow in according to the israeli human rights group coriander notebook paper you got 80% of the population of Gaza right. living but, but, on international food aid. Bill, this isn't going to get us anywhere. I think, I
11: think, Bill, if you, you have to take it back. Really, two years when Obama was elected, I thought this was an amazing opportunity for Israel. You had an American president who really loves Israel and cares about it, who also had for the first time real cred with the Arab world, and went to Cairo to say, look. I'm not George Bush anymore. I do want to make a deal. And said to the Israelis, look, just as a goodwill gesture, all we're asking is not withdraw from the West Bank, but just can you just begin with freeze construction, not end it, freeze it for a period of time. And and Netanyahu, Cheney, I knew you said Cheney, same thing, said, said, fuck you.
12: Yeah.
11: Fuck you. Not right. a, not an inch. We will give not an inch. Well, yeah. And once Netanyahu did that, and also before, just after Obama was elected, they strafed Gaza, killing a thousand, a thousand people, many of whom civilians, in carpet bombing, in a way that was really horrifying for people to watch, burying children in rubble. This is right. not the Israel I love and believe in. This is an Israel
10: that okay. has gone badly wrong. And, and I think everyone understands that. Let me ask a broader question, because I think it was just this week that we passed the $1 mark in how much we have spent on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. One thing you will have to say for Israel, they fight short wars. They don't fight wars the way we do. I mean, I thought we should go after the 9-11 killers the way they went after the Munich guys. Individual (laughs) targeting... It's not the whole Arab Muslim world we're fighting. You know what? The people who attack us, we will hunt you down and we will kill you individually. We will find you in your hotel room. You'll be shaving, and then there'll be a bullet in the back of your head. Do you think, uh, you think the occupation? Yeah, I mean, a a I think of, the yeah.
11: occupation and colonization of the West Bank is quick and easy.
12: I know. they... I mean, they've
11: been yeah. there now since 1967. And you know, Bill, what's yeah.
12: but, fighting but, but, a war
11: they cannot win? And
12: what's happening in this in Israel is, I think, those who do support the best qualities of Israel, understand that the stalemate is a dead hand on Israel. And those in this country who support Israel understand that the American Jewish establishment of APAC does not represent a majority of Americans, right. and the younger generation of American Jews are feeling more and more alienated from an Israel which has lost its soul. Well, so Andrew's point is well is. taken. In order to support an Israel, and we know what the parameters of a peace process are, 1967 borders, shared Jerusalem. Right. You can get there with will. Let's not forget that the
10: 1967 borders came about because in 1967 the Arabs fought their third war against the Israelis. Yeah. But you know, where's Trying it? to wipe out the And state. Israel is, and
11: is surrounded by people who are, some, are some of them, the most anti-Semitic, disgusting, yeah. some of them. violent, terrorist terrorists entities. Yes. Right. You
12: Absolutely.
10: Right. The
11: idea that Israel doesn't have anything to be afraid of right.
10: is not true. If but Canada was out for our destruction, I think we would be acting a little differently about Canada.
12: We wouldn't be <laughs> occupying a, it.
10: But if you wanted to have... We wouldn't a be occupying of... Canada, we would have We might have done a it.
12: surge into Canada.
10: <laughs> a surge would, if, if into Canada. If Canada declared that they wanted our destruction from the face of the earth... But you, but you, yeah, you asked, just, a, you just asked just a good question, it. though. I, just, I mean, I just I'm just saying it should be put into perspective. Israel is held to a standard no other nation is. No. I mean, it, is ago, ago, true. it is a democracy. That's
11: just not true. Are you kidding? Do you think I, another country, if another, if let's say Turkey, had attacked a flotilla of humanitarian and killed an American citizen with four bullets at close range in its head, North do you Ther- think North the Korea, United Korea's States president month, would be saying please. we have to understand why they killed an yeah. American More citizens.
10: Muslims kill more Muslims every day. This
11: was a separate country. This but
10: is an international, oh, international oh, we, incident. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the Taliban was gassing poison gassing girls school of course th- that made the news for about eight seconds
12: you know no. but, but the whole you know the whole world is overly militarized that is a serious That's I mean, we true. see that and what you talked about in terms of failure of our occupation in okay. afghanistan we got to find a different way to fight terrorism
0: I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives as it reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. As of
13: Friday, all eyes were on an Irish aid ship heading toward the Gaza Strip. This comes after a confrontation on Monday in which the Israeli Defense Forces boarded a ship sponsored by a Turkish Islamic aid organization carrying hundreds of activists, an incident that left nine activists dead and proved to be a PR disaster for Israel, despite its efforts at damage control. The activists ensured the clash would get press attention by webcasting live video from the boat soon after the Israeli soldiers boarded. Afterwards, the IDF released its own clips. Their tape included images of activists wielding chairs against the soldiers. The cameras panned over clubs, knives, and slingshots the IDF claimed to have found on board. Without unedited tape from an impartial source, it's hard to tell what happened, but the ready availability of the video kept the story in the news cycle, as both cable and broadcast news ran the images again and again. Brian Stelter covers television and digital media for the New York Times. He says that while the video is confusing, one thing we can say for sure is that both sides display a keen awareness of their audience.
14: The flotilla of activists had constructed this media campaign in advance where they had basically created a webcast network of live pictures from multiple cameras on the boats, beamed up to the satellite, live on the Internet to any TV network that wants it. So they were heading out onto the open sea with a media strategy from the beginning.
13: And presumably, they didn't have these cameras set up just to film their voyage, because who (laughs) cares about the voyage, right? right? Right. So it's in anticipation of uh, some sort of confrontation, we can assume, can we not?
14: The degree to which they produced this event is notable. Also, having spokespeople in other countries, not on the boats, able to be reached by the media at all times certainly had an impact. On the other side of this, the Israeli Defense Forces had many cameras of their own, cameras on their helicopters, cameras with the soldiers, so they could present their side of the confrontation. Both sides pointed to video clips to try to prove that the other side was the aggressor. I think in this case, it ended up just making everything more murky.
13: The video is kind of inconclusive because it doesn't really give you context.
14: Yeah, if, if we were able to see unedited videos from each of these angles, maybe, and just maybe, we'd have a better sense of what happened and who was the aggressor. And by the way, it only gets worse when they add captions. At one point in the Israeli military videos, they add yellow circles around the weapons that they want you to see.
13: Some corroborating evidence or illuminating evidence should come from the journalists mm-hmm. who were aboard the ship. They were uh, taken into custody.
14: Right. Al Jazeera had about seven people in this flotilla covering this story, producers, reporters, and cameramen. One was able to be released almost immediately. The others were held for a longer period of time. There were also members of the press from Australia, from Bulgaria, from Turkey. Very little eyewitness reporting got out, though, before the Israeli military moved in and really put a blackout on information here. But one of the sole eyewitness accounts that actually came out, one that was able to be broadcast live, was from an Al Jazeera reporter who was saying that the white flag was being raised by the boat and still there was live fire going on
7: tens of people
11: civilians have been injured there are still sounds of live fire despite the
14: white flag being raised but even that clip was seized upon by people on the web some bloggers who were trying to suggest that that clip that one moment in time that it means uh, that the israelis were the ones that attacked first and there was no evidence of that in the actual video
13: isn't it just a Rorschach test for where you stand on Israel vis a vis the Palestinians?
14: I think even when we do have these eyewitness accounts, they get they get twisted into different forms by the people on all sides of this anyway.
13: So if this is really about litigating in the court of public opinion, do you think the response to all of the inconclusiveness of the existing images will be for there to be fewer guys with guns and more guys with cameras? I mean, is this going to turn into some sort of Paddy Chayefsky mode of war where there are more videographers than
14: soldiers? (laughs) Well, I think we're going to see a gradual increase in the video cameras in these conflicts, no doubt. But I remember an image that really struck me last year during the protests in Iran, uh, when we had people with camera phones posting onto YouTube through intermediaries. There was an image of, it may have been Neda, it may have been one of the other activists that was killed. I, I can't remember to be Net honest. Neda Agha
13: Sultan, the young woman who
14: was shot in the head. I remember seeing someone laying on the ground, either wounded or killed, and no less than five or six camera phones out, circling this person. It certainly humanizes what's happening in a way that still photographs or eyewitness accounts can never do. And I have to think that that has an impact on the public's perception of these conflicts. The danger, obviously, is that if we see these dramatic, almost painful images over and over and again, we get numb to them.
13: I'm curious, based on what you've seen so far of the video from both sides, do you have any confidence that you know what happened?
14: I have much less confidence than I did when I first read about it.
6: where is the united states this? well it turns out now we have a interesting uh, analysis of what went down in the foreign policy magazine a guy named josh rogan wrote it he's got a lot of specifics including quotes that back up what he's saying apparently uh... obama was engaged right away uh... got on the phone on three different occasions with uh... the israeli leader netanyahu it, it, there is no account of how many times he got on the phone with turkish leaders Or with any other leaders. I assume that they did. That was not in this story. But the thrust of Obama's reaction was instantly how do we help Israel? Don't get me wrong. This is their account, okay? It's not like Obama got on the phone and was like, what the hell did you guys do? Why is there nine dead? Why are there all these people injured? No, got on the phone and said, how can we help? How can we be of assistance in slowing down the investigation, for example? Now you say, "Oh, come on, Jenk! You're not being fair. You don't know that Obama said that, really?" Well, they have, as I said uh, in this article in Foreign Policy magazine, an exact detail of what was in the calls, and how uh, Obama would periodically check back in with his boss. I mean, the Israeli Prime Minister, to see what he needed to do, was ordered to do. I mean, uh, thought that he could do to help, and uh, what he was told, uh, uh, ordered to do, was to. Uh, water down any investigation in the United Nations. Now, look, you can say, "Hey, Jake, you don't know he, what is. It? It's too harsh to say he was ordered to do that." Obama's his own man. America's his own country. He doesn't have to follow it. You're right. Did he follow exactly what the uh, Israeli prime minister told him to? Do? Yes, he did. In fact, they came out and were quite pleased. Here is uh, the Israeli government spokesperson, Mark Regev. This is a quote on the record. We'd like to express our thanks to the United States that worked behind the scenes to water down the statement at the United Nations. Mission accomplished. Great, watered down investigation, watered down the statement, um, and the United States is here to help you. Was there any conversation? Uh, certainly not on the record. Certainly not based on the reporting. Any conversation of what the hell did you guys do? Why did you get us stuck in the middle of a? A, a, a conflict between two important allies turkey and israel let alone why the hell did you kill the people let alone hey tell me exactly what went down and what you think you did wrong because obviously we've got a mess on our hands even if i'm covering for your ass i've got a mess on my hands why did you give me that mess that is not to be seen thank you very much sir what can we do to help you sir i mean you wonder why i get upset that our american government is, you know, being led by the nose by uh, Israel? It, it's not. Does mean bias? Well, where's the bias? You tell me. Okay, is it or isn't it? You show me how it's not. I mean, you got to be mental to think that the U.S. Uh, will stand up to Israel and say, you know, that the president will get on the phone angry and say, "How dare you do this?" <laughs> and Obama's like, "How do we get the peace process back online? How do we do it? Oh my God! I, no, no, no." no. If you were a strong leader, you would get on the phone and say, What you did is totally unacceptable. And don't get me wrong, get the facts first, of course. Listen to both sides. But on your third goddamn call, couldn't you have said, Hey, you know what? What you did was unacceptable. Why don't you now come in with concessions and actually sit down at the peace table and get something done? That's actually an opportunity for you to put pressure on Israel. Remember how much credit I gave to Obama in the beginning and Hillary Clinton because it looked like they were actually trying to put pressure on Israel, not to hurt Israel, but to get them to do peace so that it helps Israel. Now, all of that has totally disappeared. Netanyahu came in and showed who was the boss, and it looks like Obama and Clinton bowed their heads. Now they're doing what they're, you know, told to do and they're running around trying to cover Israel's ass. You show me an article, you show me facts or evidence that sh- shows otherwise, and I'm Totally ready to come on here and say it. But I, that's not what I see now. What I see is fairly pathetic. I mean, it'd be pathetic if we were being led around by the nose by any other country. And so it's not just that it's Israel. So why is a foreign country telling us what to do in foreign policy? And we answer their every beck and call unquestioningly. Yesterday I was told that I'm being too absolutist on this. Show me otherwise. Show me otherwise. Show me evidence. Send me articles. Here's where the United States stood up to Israel. And here's where the United States said, All right, look, we're. I mean, in this article, there is talk about how um, is it possible, you know, did this hurt the United States standing as a neutral arbiter between the Palestinians and Israel? <laughs> neutral arbiter? Neutral? On oh, which planet is the United States neutral between the uh, Israelis and the Palestinians? Come on, even if you like love the right-wing government of Israel and you think it can never do anything wrong, no matter what it does, you can't possibly think that the U.S. is just neutral between Israel and Palestine. That they could just come in there and go, oh, well, in an unbiased way, it looks like we should do this in order to get peace. It must be asking,
5: My like, uh...
9: Not cheering the departure of Helen Thomas As many Washington reporters appear to be She was for 50 years The bluntest of White House correspondents Not interested at all in sucking up Or throwing softballs Or preening before the cameras She was what reporters are supposed to be Fearless, independent, skeptical She was tough on Nixon Tough on W, tough on Obama And now the Washington press corps Will be even less responsive And more supplicant than ever Yes, her recent comments were grossly insensitive. To tell Jews that they should get the hell out of Palestine and go back to Germany and Poland was offensive in the extreme after what Jews have suffered there. But did her comments require that she be tarred and feathered and run out on a rail? She quickly and fulsomely apologized for him, as she should have, and other commentators like Pat Buchanan and Rush Limbaugh have said much more outrageous things than she, and they get to keep their day jobs. What's more, she was trying in her clumsy way to point out that Palestinians are still an occupied people, and she was asking the question, is it right that some Jews came from America As she also said, and now live in the occupied West Bank, some of these Americans, I might add, are the most bigoted against Arabs. To me, that's an open question, and no one should be fired for asking it in a country and a profession that's supposed to cherish free speech.
15: Fox News host Chris Wallace and Fox business analyst Stuart Varney revealed the network's true conservative colors today.
13: I think it would be the final payment for uh, uh, for Helen Thomas if this were to happen, because obviously she was very far to the left wing, no. and if her seat were to be taken by Fox News, it would just be kind of
4: poetic justice. i was very works. clearly partisan. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen.
16: While Media Matters has repeatedly demonstrated how Fox News is merely an extension of the Republican Party, it is not often the network's own employees will admit it.
17: finally, by now, you've probably heard plenty of commentary about Helen Thomas, the veteran White House reporter and columnist, resigned abruptly after a video surfaced in which she implored Israel to get out of Palestine, referred to the occupation of Palestinian lands, and suggested that Israelis go back to places like Poland, Germany, and the United States. The comments, of course, received wide play. It's not much worth trying to rescue her words in order to make them sound less offensive. And it goes without saying that other media figures have made grotesque comments advocating violence or advancing bigotry without having to resign. Part of the Thomas spectacle was seeing media figures criticize the frank and critical questions she posed at some White House press conferences. As the June 8th New York Times put it, Thomas persisted in this despite, quote, what many in Washington observe to be the increasingly hostile and outlandish nature of her questions in recent years, close quote. Well, like what exactly? The Times explained that, quote, Miss Thomas seemed particularly critical of the Iraq War and repeatedly pointed out during White House briefings that the American-led invasion was costing civilian lives, close quote. Now, if that counts as outlandish and hostile to many in Washington, then let's have more of it. Thank you very much. Thomas wasn't without her supporters, including Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank, who praised Thomas's questioning of White House officials over the Afghan war, Wall Street reform, and the like. The fallout extended to a high school in Maryland, where Thomas was scheduled to give a graduation speech. She's been replaced by CBS anchor Bob Schieffer. Now, whatever you think of Thomas's comments, it sure doesn't seem fair to punish those kids like that.
16: They say you gotta lose a couple fights to win. It's hard to tell from where I'm sitting They say that this is where the fun begins I guess it's time that I was quitting
1: I bought a
16: on. Everyone's talking about last week's tragic incident in the Middle East. And I'm not talking about little Max Warner messing up the Huff Torah portion during his bar mitzvah. <laughs> yes, Max, everyone noticed. <laughs> no, I mean the confrontation between Israeli defense forces, the IDF, and activists aboard a Turkish ship trying to run the blockade of Gaza. It ended with nine dead and a lot of questions. For more, let's go over to the Colbert Report's MidEast east Information Center. Yes, the Thuris Information Center. Where debate is never cut off, it's circumcised. Folks, here's the Mid-East. Now... Some are saying that Israel violated international law by attacking a civilian ship that was carrying food and medical supplies. Others say that Israel was defending a legal blockade which prevents weapons from being smuggled to enemies who are sworn to their destruction. Now, before I weigh in, let me just say, there is no greater friend of the state of Israel than yours truly. Except me, Stephen Colbert. This is Formidable Opponent. Hey! We're, we're not doing Formidable Opponent! Well, we are now. But what, what gives you the right to board my studio without permission? You were about to attack the State of Israel. No. I just said there's no greater friend of the State of Israel than yours truly. Yeah. That's what everybody says right before they attack Israel. (laughs) What? Ah, never! Really? Do you agree with 100% of what Israel did? Well, not 100%. How dare you! You have no right to judge my people after what we've been through. What do you mean your people? You're not Jewish. How dare you! My grandfather did not die, so you could say I'm not Jewish. You're not Jewish. And I happen to know your grandfather is still alive. Right, I said he didn't die. Hi, Peepop. See you at the christening. Stephen, a true friend can point out your faults. Really? Are we friends? Of course. You're fat. I hate you! See? A true friend has your back no matter what. But, Stephen, Israel attacked a flotilla of humanitarians. Ah, an armada of humanitarians. terrorists <laughs> That ship could have been smuggling weapons. Remember, in the years before the Israeli blockade, Hamas launched more than 3,000 rockets. Wow. NASA has to cancel the shuttle, but Hamas has a space program? <laughs> the point is, while it's tragic, you can't make a challah without breaking a few eggs. <laughs> Not a moist challah, like peepops. But this attack handed Israel's enemy video footage they can use to try to make Jews look like bad guys in the eyes of the world. You mean the eyes of America. The Jews lost Europe, what year is this? 2010. About 2010 years ago. <laughs> Stephen, people died and that, that... Is just bad for Israel, only if you believe what Israel did was wrong. Well, I guess I do. And you're willing to say that to anyone? Sure. You'd say that to, I don't know, the Israeli ambassador. Bring him on! Okay, Jimmy, bring him on! Please welcome the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Holy shtetl. <laughs> well, I, uh, I guess I better go say hi. Have fun. <laughs> Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for coming on.
5: Thanks, Thanks for coming. Uh,
16: <laughs> sir, what, a, what an unexpected pleasure. Now, um, how, how much of that did you
15: see? I heard it all. Every and bit. Fantastic.
16: Right. Now, uh, yes. I just want to say that there is no greater friend of the state of Israel than yours truly. Thank you. I, I even have a I even have a cup to prove it. <laughs> uh, you can have that if you like. Can it. I have yes. that? You can have it, absolutely.
5: Thank
16: you. Like that. Now, now uh, sir.
15: Yes, Stephen.
16: Did Israel have to do this? It, it seems like this was bad for Israel. Israel had to do it. Why did they have Israel to do it?
15: had to do it because Gaza is under the control of Hamas. Hamas is not your friendly neighborhood organization. Hamas is a terrorist organization that has sworn to destroy the state of Israel. As you said, it's fired thousands of rockets into Israel. It's kidnapped our young soldier Gilad Shalit and held him four years in solitary confinement. We. You know, we we don't want to have this blockade, but if we let in the lettuce, what's going to get in is more rockets, machine guns. We try to give the wait, lettuce wait on the boats. It goes
16: lettuce, the lettuce, then rockets, machine guns. <laughs> exactly. This is why I don't eat salads. <laughs> right.
15: <laughs>
16: but wh- but why 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 can't you actually let in? The is today the Israeli government right. announced that it was easing the blockade to allow snack food like potato chips and soft right. drinks into Gaza? What what made them suddenly less dangerous? Because if you look at America, it
15: seems pretty grim what snack food has done to us. (laughs) It's true. Now, listen, we, Gaza, is a hostile entity, all right? It's the government of Gaza has sworn to destroy us. While we let in a hundred truckloads of food and medicine every day, we don't feel particularly obliged to provide them with snack food. We did today, and Hamas rejected our snack food. Our pretzels were not good enough for Hamas.
16: Now, what, why, why not support an international investigation into this incident? Why
15: does Israel have to do it themselves? Why not international observers? Well, just like American soldiers would not like the Libyans or the North Koreans judging their actions in Afghanistan and Iraq, our people don't want Libyans and North well, this Koreans is different. judging Civi- our civili- actions. Civilians were killed here. Civilians, unfortunately, can get killed everywhere, but here but Americans in- don't kill civilians. Oh. <laughs> we have That's smart a bombs. Right we have smart bombs,
16: right. sir. They mistake. arrive at right. someone's house, ring the doorbell, right. ask for ID. Right. <laughs> then, if the terrorist identifies themselves, right. we get the women and children out of the house. Right. We pack up all the breakables. Right. Allow the person to make peace with their god, then explode. Then everyone I'd else is resettled someplace pretty.
15: So. The people, people on this particular boat. Where seventy hired thugs from a radical Islamic organization that had sworn to the state? But were the women and children were.
16: also thugs? Yeah, but
15: they were not killed. <laughs> but they could have been killed. We have we have encountered many flotillas trying to get through, including five of the six ships in this flotilla. Were all taken without incident, without any casualties whatsoever. It was only on this one ship which have been taken over by this radical organization where our guys who came on board expecting to encounter peace activists encountered these people armed with clubs with knives and apparently guns as well they were shot some of our boys and they what, had to defend what, themselves what, how then like given the situation right now do you think there is a chance for peace i think it's a great chance for peace and we're willing to take the risk for peace but as you talked about before about the landmines we make sure we go down that path to peace make sure it's not a a, la- a path lined with landmines. No, uh, but before
16: I go, I just want to say that I repudiate what Helen said. She's a friend, but I repudiate everything she said. Go back to Poland. Go back to Germany. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Israel is for Israelis. If anything, the Palestinians should go back to where they came from.
15: <laughs> I think. Do you agree? Do you I agree, think... sir? I, I it's do time not agree. to get them back to wherever no. that was. Uh, alas, I don't agree. I think there's room for both of us to share. This homeland, Palestinians living in their homeland, Israelis living in their homeland in a position of permanent and legitimate peace. Thank you, sir.
16: <laughs> ambassador Michael Oren, the Israeli ambassador <laughs> to the United States, there is no greater friend of the state of Israel than this man.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Please
5: don't put your face-
9: Joe Biden has reached a new low. Even though a U.S. citizen was one of the nine people Israeli forces killed on that relief ship to Gaza, the Vice President of the United States defended Israel's assault. Not a peep about the dead U.S. citizen, Furkan Dogan or the other people Israelis killed. Not a peep about Israel violating international law by commandeering a ship on the open seas. Instead, the usual defense of Israel's actions, no matter how brutal and lawless and indefensible they are. With a response like this, and with Obama's mealy-mouthed response, too, there's no use in wondering why the U.S. gets lumped in with Israel in the minds of Arabs and Muslims around the world. The Joint Chiefs have already said out loud what Many of us have been saying for years that Washington's blind support for every Israeli misdeed is a threat to our national security. And yet Obama and Biden keep providing that blind support. The illegal and murderous Israeli attack on the Gaza ship was an easy occasion for Washington to put some distance finally between itself and Tel Aviv. But Obama and Biden refused. And so not only does Israel have a black eye on this one, we do too. And we don't have a clear eye left. Virgin
18: Israel Update. Andy, the sun may rise, the sun may set, the leaves may bud and fall, but a few things will remain constant in all our lives. The Japanese will always love cartoon monsters, that and unsettling pornography. (coughs) Two, Kenya will always produce world-class distance runners. And three, Israel will have a tendency to, out of nowhere, do something crazy, incredibly frustrating, and that does nothing to further their image or cause worldwide. And this week was no different from any other week. As you may have heard, nine people died and 30 were wounded when Israeli troops boarded or stormed a flotilla of ships carrying aid to Gaza. And that last sentence is indicative of what you're dealing with here. Even describing the act is now controversial. (coughs) No one can even agree on the semantics of the circumstances. The Israelis say they boarded the ship, though, to be fair... I don't think that you can grammatically be described as boarding anything when you're ziplined down from a helicopter with a loaded machine gun. I've never heard a train conductor say, all aboard, before diving for cover as some last-minute passengers crashing through the ceiling, opening fire on anything that
4: moves. (laughs) Yeah, well, it does seem that uh, the Israeli military have still not quite mastered the arts of public relations. And this, I think, is, going to, is certain to go down in history as a bit of a blooper, John, whatever the semantics a gap. turn out. It's a gaffe. out, it is a gaff, and I guess, you know... I mean, the problem for Israel is that large parts of the world consider pretty much everything they do to be a bit of a blooper, and some of the angrier bits of the world consider their entire existence to be a blooper itself. Right. So I guess they get used to it, and Israel has very much reacted as if to say, oh, well, shit happens. Now, admittedly, the Israeli <laughs> government does seem to often go out of its way to make yeah. that shit happen, but uh-huh. still. The it T-shirt still, slogan stands, John.
18: It's still their go-to follow-up comment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both sides quickly released their own heavily edited videos of the event. Uh, the Palestinian video showed gunshots and the bleeding bodies of unarmed passengers. Uh, the Israeli video showed the soldiers being set upon by baseball bats and metal bar-wielding activists. And uh, shops just be- uh, stops just before the shooting begins. Both directors essentially have their own visions of how the final cut should be, Andy. And what this situation clearly needs is for a major studio like the UN to (coughs) step in and take the edit away from both sides. Just release something that's commercially viable. But one thing is for sure, uh, from both of the videos, you don't want to be anyone in it. (laughs) I would not want to be on the ship, having Mossad agents raining down on top of me, and I would certainly not want to be an Israeli soldier about to have an angry crowd try to beat the shit out of me. (laughs) Uh, You know, what was in the ships that necessitated this commando raid? Well, they were carrying 10,000 tonnes of goods, including school supplies, building materials, and two large electricity generators. So, to be fair to the Israelis, Andy, they didn't know that. They didn't know that what was in there. To be fair to the ship uh, in question, they were in international waters. You know, so, but hold on, to be fair to the Israelis, they may have been concerned that there were materials to make weapons in there. But, again, to be fair to the ship, they weren't expecting a scene from a bad Steven Seagal movie. So, <laughs> who's right here? Well, the answer closer to the truth is neither of them are right. You could argue that s- uh, sailing a flotilla of ships to break the Gaza blockade was a provocative act. Sure, but you could also argue that the blockade itself is a, f- a lot more provocative, <laughs> Andy. And I mean, you don't really get much more provocative than being contained in a strip of land without enough food or
4: supplies. Yeah, but John this is just typical anti-israelism you're perpetrating Okay, here because, I mean, because you're there's, a reas- right. there's a reason for this blockade, John. All right. And that is I'm that sorry, Israel God. are trying to end the culture of dependency that is holding so many people in Gaza back just relying on aid. You know they're helping them to help themselves to make their own medicine. Instead of relying on international donors to make them magically better, to grow their own food on their own patches of bombed-out rubble, you know, if if Canada can manage to grow their own food, John, why can't (laughs) Gaza? You know, and that so that they really, you know, it's it's tough love, John. It's tough love.
18: (laughs) The Gaza blockade itself is at best a deeply flawed security measure, and at worst, a flagrant trampling over basic human rights. Even UN Chief Ban Ki Moon, Andy, whose very job is to shamefully underreact to every single global event. That's his job. It's in his contract. Even he calls the siege of Gaza counterproductive, unsustainable and wrong. That's Ban Ki-moon saying that, Andy. <laughs> That's the equivalent of anyone else saying, holy f- balls, this is just turbo bullshit.
4: Well, <laughs> <laughs> he said that. He said uh, counterproductive, unsustainable and wrong, and Netanyahu replied, yeah, well, he would say that. Besides, he's just a secretary, probably just some gossiping overheard at the coffee machine. <laughs> and anyway, you can't spell counterproductive, unsustainable, and wrong without ban, you are a stupid UN c. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's always, there's always to and fro in his arguments, George.
18: There's a, there, you're right, there's both sides. You mustn't, you have to take the broader perspective. But the more you read about this story, the more you want to slam your head through the newspaper or laptop screen that you're reading it on. Incidentally, that, by the way, if nothing else, is a good argument for the continuation of print journalism. (laughs) It's a lot cheaper and safer to smash your head through the stories you're reading. Uh, But one such frustrating detail here came from uh, Captain uh, Ari Shalikar of the Israeli Defence Forces, who revealed that the commandos began the raids aimed with paintball guns. He said, it's true that the Israeli commander unit came on board with paintball weapons in order to disperse people if there was violence. They were ready ...for a violent demonstration on board the flotilla, especially on the big boat, the Mamara. No one really expected that there would be such a violent outcome, though, of what happened. Really? How do you expect them to react to having paintballs shot at them? For a start, paintballs really, really hurt, Andy. And also... Why would you trust that they were using paintball guns? You just dropped in from f***ing helicopters. (laughs) They're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt in that situation. It's not like they thought you were a bachelor party that had got lost. Oh, don't worry, it's Dave's last day of innocence. (laughs) Let him shoot himself out. He, He went on to say, first, you know, the soldiers tried to disperse, but in the end, when they were shot at, you know, when they were shooting from the other side, there's no other way than turning from paintball to live ammunition. And I'm sure that's true. And what is live ammunition anyway, Andy, than a paintball simply covered in lead with the paint taken out?
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. So the very first thing I have to say about this episode is that I'm really excited about the type of feedback I I might get from it. I have no idea what people will have to say about it, I I really don't, but to the best of my knowledge, I've never been called an anti-Semite in my life, and this could be it, this could be the big day. So uh, if that happens, that'll be interesting, cross that right off the bucket list, uh, and and that would be fun. What I want to do, though, is give you my perspective before anyone has a chance to, uh, to respond and say that I think I come at at this whole issue from kind of a unique perspective of absolute cluelessness, because, like, I grew up in such a way that for the first couple of decades of my life, I fundamentally could not understand why anyone would be prejudiced against the Jewish people, the Jewish faith, the Jewish race, you know, whatever. I didn't endorse this idea, but uh, obviously, <laughs> but I could at least understand why people would be prejudiced against other races, that, you know, with with uh, you know different skin tone, because that's something you can see. That's uh, you know something that's outwardly different. People like to be around people who are the same as them. Like I could grasp that. I never understood the the dislike of, of Jews. I just didn't understand it. So that's where I'm coming from. And then growing up, like. You're not going to find a less religious person in the world than me. So for the whole Israel-Palestine, whole Middle East uh, area, I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I just, I'm coming at it from, I don't know, what kind of seems right, what's wrong, uh, and and so forth. And and religion and faith don't enter into my calculations, even a scintilla, not, not at all. So I've felt this way that I'm about to say in a moment, uh, for a long time, maybe forever, I don't know, but it was put into words recently by my brother, so I'll give him credit for saying it, I'm kind of stealing what he said, is that, you know, kind of in in any situation, but then in this particular situation between Israel and Palestine, I'm for the oppressed. You know, I, I just generally don't take the side of the oppressor. So right now, as things stand. It certainly appears that Israel is the oppressor and the Palestinians are the oppressed. And the, the point my brother made, which I totally agree with, is that it's it's not that they're inherently that way. If the roles were reversed and Palestine was put in charge, would things be better? Would would the Palestinians be totally fair to the Israelis and, and they would live in harmony? Probably not. It would probably be completely fucked up in the exact opposite way. Well, in that case, I would still, my position would remain the same, I would still be on the side of the oppressed. So whoever's got the short end of the stick, that's who I'm pulling for. So for me, you know, my allegiances really have almost nothing to do with the people themselves or the history of a race or the history of a culture or political ties that we have with people. I'm just Who's doing the right thing? Who's doing the wrong thing? Let's all do the right thing, and I'm on the side of people who want to do what's right and fair and just and so forth. So now, now that that light topic is out of the way, I wanted to tackle something a little bit heavier. And long time listeners of the show will recognize a couple of recurring themes in what I'm about to say. And the very quick background on me in this show is I, I kind of started doing it on accident. You know, I have absolutely no uh, professional experience or any experience of any kind, uh, you know, producing audio, uh, you know, putting shows together, radio, nothing. Like, had absolutely no experience, and in the very, very early days of podcasting, I was listening to these shows, and all every, everyone was producing them from their basements, and it was really good, and you had the sense like, oh, like if they can do it, anybody can do it. I should do that. And so that I would have that thought all the time, like, oh, I should make a show. Oh, wait, no, I'm not talented. That's right, so I guess I can't. And then you take that kind of instinctual feeling I was having, and you combine that with, hey, I'm listening to a lot of great stuff. I wish other people could hear this. I wish I had some way of making sure other people heard this. So there you go. You take those two things. Hey, I should make a podcast, but too bad I'm not talented. And you kind of cross-pollinate that with uh, wanting to share this kind of professional audio with with other people. Well, there you go. That's how this show came about. So that, that's the very first theme is uh, is me kind of fundamentally doing this show without really knowing what I'm doing. The second theme is that I'm always late to the game, and usually by like years, and so this right here is where those two themes collide. So I just want to say that it was it was actually, I I just looked at the dates, it was actually uh, the four-year anniversary yesterday from when I'm talking. Four-year anniversary from when I received my first two emails asking me uh, and half complaining about the quality of the audio, uh, and I'm talking about the levels of the audio, a little bit too loud, a little bit too soft, uh, and so forth. Four years ago, I started receiving emails like that, and I, I don't get that many, but I get like maybe one or two every six months. So, th- so the first ones came four years ago. The most recent one came uh, May 11th, <laughs> so last month. And so you see what I'm saying. Uh, Obviously, I didn't know what I was doing when I started, and it's taken me four years to get my act together. At least, I hope I've gotten my act together. So my response for all these years has always been uh, that I've, I've tried everything I know how to try. I don't know how to make it any louder. I don't know why it's quiet. I don't know why... This show seems to be the quietest show anybody's ever heard. Everyone always tells me I listen to 20 podcasts and yours is always the quietest. I don't I've never known why that was. And over the past few weeks, I finally got around to asking a professional. You know, I I'd done everything I could and people seemed to be listening and they didn't seem to complain that much, so I didn't put it at the top of my priority list. But finally, I got the advice of a professional. And uh, he kind of tutored me and did all these things and installed a bunch of bells and whistles and, you know, pumped this up and leveled that out and on and on and on. And he talked about a lot of things that I can't say because I didn't understand what he was saying when he said it and so forth. So all of this is just to say that this episode that you just listened to is the first one that I would say uh, should actually be a little bit louder. So that uh, you know, if you're like driving in a car on the freeway, you should actually be able to hear it fairly well. At least that's my hope. I haven't put the show out yet. I don't have any feedback on it. I can't. I haven't even heard it myself yet. I'm just hoping that's the case. So I'm just letting you know that's what's supposed to happen. Keep the feedback coming, and we can fine tune it from here. Now, now that I got a little bit of uh, professional backup, uh, we can we can probably make it sound real nice for you. So that'll that'll be it for today. I'm going to wrap up. I want to thank first. I want to thank the people who have uh, written in to complain about the audio of the show. I want to thank the the first people to to write in. That was Chris P. and Dana H. wrote in back in June 2006. So the show had been in existence for like five months, and, and people were already getting on me for that. And then the most recent email to come in was from, uh, I, I want to say Ellie, but it could also be Eli, I'm not sure, wrote in on, uh, on May 11th. So thanks to those people and everyone in between who finally pressured me enough to uh, seek outside help to get this all settled. Also, of course, I want to thank a couple of members. Joshua H. signed up for his monthly membership back on February 17th and has been sticking with the show ever since. Thank you, Joshua. And, uh, and Deborah U signed up for a full year in advance starting back on December 8th of last year. So huge thanks to uh, Deborah and Joshua, all the other members who make the show possible. It certainly makes me feel good that, that all of you members sleep better at night, uh, secure in the knowledge that, uh, that you're making this show possible. And for all of you out there listening, please continue to support the show just by simply telling everyone you know about it. It makes a huge difference to just spread the word that way. To stay connected to the show between episodes, you can join us on Facebook and Twitter. I send out messages there. Occasionally, they're interesting. For details on the show, including links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, those are always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you ten times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from Bestoftheleft.com. Bitch right. on
5: a shiny sheet. The only maker that you want Dying man in a living room The shadow paces the floor will take you out any open door This is not my life It's just a fond farewell to a friend It's not what I'm like It's just a fond farewell